discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. A man attending the circus was passing by the elephants when suddenly he stopped, confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by only a small rope tied to their front leg. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephants could at any time break away from the ropes they were tied to, but for some reason they did not. The man saw a trainer nearby and asked why these beautiful, magnificent animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. The trainer said, well, when they are very young and much smaller, we use the same size of rope to tie them and at that age, it's enough to hold them. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. The man was amazed. These animals could at any time break free from their bonds, but because they believed they couldn't, they were stuck right where they were. The moral of the story is, don't be an elephant. And hey, speaking of elephants, You're listening to Alternate Current Radio, I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Howdy folks, in case you missed the last episode of The Daily Ruckus, I think you'll catch on to what we're doing here pretty quick. Merriam-Webster's online dictionary defines the expression elephant in the room as an obvious major problem or issue that people avoid discussing or acknowledging. And the first elephant in the room that I've set my sights on for today is actually one that I have mentioned a number of times already, but it bears repeating. As reported by Off Guardian on January 25th, 2021, the World Health Organization has released a memorandum which potentially completely undermines all the pandemic case numbers from all over the world. On the 13th of January, they put out a memo stating that that a single positive PCR test should not be used for diagnosing SARS-CoV-2 infection. To quote them directly, quote, where test results do not correspond with clinical presentation, a new specimen should be taken and retested using the same or different NAT technology, end quote. Translation, if you get a positive test for someone showing no symptoms, retest them. It 
goes on to say, quote, Most PCR assays are indicated as an aid for diagnosis. Therefore, healthcare providers must consider any result in combination with timing of sampling, specimen type, assay specifics, clinical observations, patient history, confirmed status of any contacts, and epidemiological information, end quote. Note it says an aid for diagnosis and not a diagnostic test. In careful, bureaucratic language, they are essentially admitting that PCR tests were not meant to be used diagnostically and cannot be relied upon to do so accurately. Just as Dr. Kerry Mullis, the inventor of the PCR test, said himself many times, the PCR test is virtually the entire foundation of the COVID narrative. Without it, you have nothing but healthy people and the normal winter flu-like illnesses. Every case you read about is only a case because of a PCR test. Off Guardian and others have been saying since at least June that the PCR test is scientifically meaningless. And now, by degrees, the WHO is admitting it too. And if the PCR test is meaningless, so is the pandemic. A lie built upon the deliberate misuse of a tool not fit for purpose. Off-Guardian.org Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say the PCR test is meaningless, and it is certainly serving its purpose. And that purpose is to convince the population that there is a problem. And by now, we've all witnessed the reaction for at least a year now, and we are now witnessing the solution as of recently. The solution, of course, is a bunch of spiffy new drugs and vaccines from big pharmaceutical companies. I don't think anyone with half a brain can deny that. It's pretty much a fact at this point, and all that's left to speculate is the motivation, and when considering such a thing, there really are only two options. Technically, there are three, but I don't believe for a second that the pharmaceutical companies and billionaires and highly paid so-called health experts who are cheerleading this whole thing from the beginning actually care about their fellow human beings, which means one of two things. Either they truly only care about money, or they truly are trying to kill everybody, or both. Personally, I lean more towards the former than the latter. You can never go wrong when you follow the money. Dr. Joseph Merkula writes, While much of the world slowed to a halt during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, one thing remained steady. Lobbying efforts. Spending on lobbying reached $3.48 billion in 2020, which is just under 2019's record of $3.5 billion. The numbers were revealed by OpenSecrets.org, which tracks federal campaign contributions and lobbying data. The health sector spent the most on lobbying in 2020, a record $615 million. The efforts paid off, and Open Secrets reported, quote, Congress delivered massive windfalls to hospitals and the federal government awarded lucrative contracts to pharmaceutical and medical device manufacturers, end quote. Spending on pharmaceutical industry lobbying also reached a record amount in 2020 at more than $306 million compared to $299 million in 2019. There were 1,502 pharmaceutical lobbyists in 2020, 63.58% of whom were former government employees. A revolving door in which government employees
employees and former members of Congress take jobs with lobbying firms is common among lobbyists, and the reverse also occurs, in which people from the private sector end up in government positions. The top pharmaceutical lobbyist in 2020 was the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, PHRMA, Pharma, which spent $25.9 million, making them the third top lobbying spender overall, behind only the National Associations of Realtors and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Pharma also runs the nonprofit Pharma Foundation, which gives grants for research that can be funneled all the way to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The FDA does not accept corporate money, but it does receive money funneled to them via nonprofit foundations, which may receive money from other nonprofits funded by private interests, including pharma. Take, for instance, the Reagan Udall Foundation, a nonprofit foundation created by Congress in 2007 to support scientific research that is of interest to the FDA. The Reagan Udall Foundation said it would only accept grants from government, individual donors, and other nonprofits, not industry. But in 2010, it received a $150,000 grant from the Pharma Foundation, which, being a nonprofit, technically fit the definition of an acceptable funding source, even though it's founded and funded by drug companies. After Pharma, other top pharmaceutical lobbyists in 2020 included the following. Medtronic, $5 million. Bristol Myers Squibb, $5.39 million. Johnson & Johnson, $5.57 million. Horizon Therapeutics, $5.76 million. Eli Lilly and Company, $5.83 million. Novartis, $6.15 million. Bayer, $6.7 million. Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, $6.92 million. Merck, $6.98 million. Gilead Sciences, $7.03 million. AbbVie, $7.07 million. Roche Holdings, $10.87 million. Pfizer, $10.87 million. Amgen, $11.15 million. And Biotechnology Innovation Organization, $12.56 million. Lobbying was heavy during the first quarter when industries were eager to influence the first COVID-19 stimulus package. Many of the lobbyists also had close ties to congressional leaders. According to Open Secrets, quote, over 1,000 clients dispatched lobbyists with close ties to the White House or congressional leaders through the first half of 2020. About 40% of those clients reported lobbying on issues related to the pandemic. Pharmaceutical companies that received massive windfalls from the federal government to swiftly developed COVID-19 vaccines deployed Washington insiders. So did firms tasked with producing ventilators and businesses in hard-hit industries angling for government aid. Companies that had not lobbied during the Trump administration or ever 
before signed contracts with K Street firms. The vast majority of these clients are businesses or trade associations, which make up nearly 90% of lobbying spending this year. The success of revolving door lobbyists indicates that powerful interests saw former aides to top officials as their best chance to influence high-level negotiations that mostly sidelined rank-and-file lawmakers." End quote. Annual lobbying on pharmaceuticals and health products has been on the rise since 2013, and in 2019, the pharmaceutical industry was the top lobbying group in Washington, spending far more than any other industry. Among their top priorities that year was fiercely opposing a bill that would reduce drug costs. From 2018 to 2019, some major increases were noted, including for Akibia Therapeutics, which manufactures drugs for kidney disease. Their spending increased from $110,000 in 2018 to $1.8 million in 2019 and $1.6 million in 2020. AbbVie, which manufactures Humira, has also steadily increased spending from $4.3 million in 2018 to $5.4 million in 2019, reaching over $7 million in 2020. Open Secrets noted, quote, that spending comes on top of the industry's many ad campaigns designed to influence lawmakers and the general public. The industry fights threatening legislation in creative ways, including funding prominent but unrelated associations to push pro-industry messages on the airwaves, end quote. Pharma, for instance, funds the Partnership for Safe Medicines, which is a non-profit group that claims to be in place to protect Americans from the sale of dangerous counterfeit drugs. In reality, it's another industry front group, which in 2019 used at least $900,000 in grants to pay for a series of television commercials aimed at stopping the import of cheaper prescription drugs from other countries. The ads featured sheriffs warning people of the quote-unquote dangers of importing drugs with quote loose foreign safeguards, end quote, and claimed to be paid for by the National Sheriff's Association. They falsely gave the impression that law enforcement was widely against the less expensive drug imports, but in reality, the Partnership for Safe Medicines, funded by Pharma, had given the National Sheriff's Association the grant to fund the industry-backed commercials. The marketing of prescription drugs, health services, laboratory tests, and even disease awareness is big business in the U.S., and spending has been on a steady uphill climb since 1997. That year, spending on medical marketing was $17.7 billion, which rose to $29.9 billion in 2016. Direct-to-consumer, DTC, spending, increased the most rapidly, from 11.9% of total spending to 32%. DTC prescription drug ads accounted for $6 billion in spending alone in 2016, which amounted to 4.6 million ads, including 663,000 television commercials, mostly for high-cost biologics and cancer immunotherapies. Disease awareness campaigns, meanwhile, are actually marketing 
campaigns run by pharmaceutical companies geared at diseases treated by their drugs. Such campaigns rose in numbers from 44 in 1997 to 401 in 2016, with spending in increasing from $177 million to $430 million over the same period. DTC marketing for health services also rose from $542 million to $2.9 billion, with spending increases particularly notable for hospitals, dental centers, cancer centers, mental health and addiction clinics, and medical services such as home health care. Aside from DTC advertising, Big Pharma is still marketing directly to health professionals, an area that accounted for the most professional spending, according to a JAMA study on medical marketing in the U.S. The researchers from the Dartmouth Institute's Center for Medicine in the Media noted, quote, pharmaceutical marketing to health professionals accounted for most spending and remains high even with new policies to limit industry influence. Despite the increase in marketing over 20 years, regulatory oversight remains limited, end quote. The Wellcome Trust is a top funder of health research globally and has been a major player in the COVID-19 pandemic, including co-leading a WHO program to develop new COVID-19 therapeutics. However, the Wellcome Trust is part of the technocratic globalist network. Wellcome is the largest charity in the UK that funds, quote, innovative biomedical research, end quote. It was formed in 1936 after the death of Sir Henry Wellcome, a pharmaceutical pioneer and progressive industrialist. Their board consists of present or former bankers, insurance executives, and investment board members. Sir Henry Wellcome, while still alive, founded the company that went on to become GlaxoSmithKline, GSK. So the Wellcome Trust is essentially the philanthropic arm of GSK. In a BMJ investigation, journalist Tim Schwab points out that the charity's big pharma investments overlap with its research efforts, such that, quote, the major funder of health research stands to gain financially from the pandemic, raising questions about transparency and accountability, end quote. While leading the Access to COVID-19 Tools Accelerator Project, or ACT Accelerator, to deliver COVID-19 treatment options, Wellcome has invested heavily in the companies making the treatments. This includes $389 million in Novartis, which manufactures dexamethasone, and $347 million in Roche, which is manufacturing monoclonal antibodies. Quote, Both Roche and Novartis report having had conversation with WHO's ACT Accelerator about their therapy drugs, BMG reported, adding, Wellcome's financial interests have been published on the Trust's website and through financial regulatory filings, but do not seem to have been disclosed as financial conflicts of interest in the context of Wellcome's work on COVID-19, even as they show that the Trust is positioned to potentially gain from the pandemic financially, end quote. Wellcome's director, Jeremy Farrar, also has a position on the UK's Scientific Advisory Group for Emergency
Emergencies, which advises the government on COVID-19, as well as a board seat with the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, which gave $1 billion to COVID-19 vaccine development, while Farrar has spoken publicly on the benefits of specific COVID-19 drugs, Wellcome is heavily invested in companies manufacturing COVID-19 vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics, and reported gains of $4.5 billion from its investments in 2020, which the BMJ notes is, quote, three times more money than the trust gave away in charity, end quote. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is also in line to profit from its role in the pandemic response, as it has more than $250 million invested in COVID-19-related companies. Despite their financial interests in the quote-unquote solutions they're touting, the Gates Foundation and Wellcome have been regarded favorably in the media for their role in pandemic response efforts. The BMJ quoted Joel Lexgen, Professor Emeritus of York University's School of Health Policy and Management in Toronto, who stated, quote, What the pandemic is doing is buffing the reputation of organizations like Gates and Wellcome and the drug companies, when I don't think they really deserve that buffing up. I think they're acting the way they always have, which is, from the drug company's point of view, looking after their own financial interests, and from the point of view of the foundations, is pursuing their own privately developed objectives without being responsible to anyone but their own boards of directors." End quote. The fact remains that, via their extensive lobbying efforts and marketing, Big Pharma is continuing to grow ever more powerful as are the foundations connected to them. Mercola.com. So there we go, that clears out some of the elephants from the room, which is kind of a good thing, but at the same time, kind of bad, because now I can see there, in the corners, at least a couple of the really, really big elephants in the room that were hiding behind all the other ones. We are definitely gonna have to do something about those guys. On the next episode, of course. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been the Daily Ruckus for Wednesday, April 7, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.